Lord, you're our Savior. You're our Deliverer. There's none like you. We who should have a bright red crimson stain upon us. Lord, you wash and cleanse and you make white as snow. And there's just no other feeling that can compare to that. From going to darkness to light, from red to white, from lost to found, to to destitute to saved. Lord, there's just no feeling that can compare to you being our Savior and our Deliverer. Lord, would you wash us tonight? Would you cleanse us? This world makes us so dirty. Lord, we just with hands raised tonight, right now, God, we ask that you would wash the filth of the day off. And I just keep picturing that room where you had your disciples and it wasn't too long, Lord, before you would go to the cross for them. And you got up and you gird yourself with a towel and, and a bowl of water and you washed, your, washed their feet. And, and I think that all of us would be like Peter and we would say, not so, Lord, we should be doing this to you. And yet you said that if you didn't wash us, we could have no part in you. Lord, our feet get so dirty from walking this world. Our eyes, our hearts, our mind, it's just the grimy filth of this world. So God, would you wash us and cleanse us tonight by your power, we pray. And it's in your name, amen. Amen. Well, it was about seven years ago that I went to Israel. Maybe six years ago. I don't know. Yeah, because I think Aaliyah was like three. So six years ago, I went to Israel, and it was an amazing time, and we did ministry, and I went with Debbie Bryson's trip, and maybe you heard that my clothes got stolen. That's a story for another time. And... um, and, and I was on my way back, and my friend and I had come a little bit early, and we were coming, coming back together, too, and I was on my way, and we were in that little, like, passport control line. And, you know, the thing about Israelis is that they are so blunt. Like, what they feel, they tell you, usually in a raised voice and usually really close to your face. Holly was there. She knows. And, um, and I was in the passport line waiting to get into the airport, And this lady comes, and she looks at my picture, and she goes, this is not you. And what had happened was when I had gotten my passport picture, I had injured my neck. And so my head was stuck this way. And, you know, they don't let you smile. And Jason had said to me, today's the last day to get your passport because we lived out in the middle of nowhere and it took, like, extra long for everything. And, and he said, today's the last day to get your passport if you're going to go to, I think we were going to Costa Rica. So I was, like, in sweats, homeschooling the kids with my neck like this, with, like, highlights that had way grown out, like, before ombre was okay, you know, like, like it started right here. And, and so I'm just like in my sweatshirt like this, and, and I smiled, and they said, don't smile, and I went. And so my picture is just like horrific, and I'm so happy I have a new one now because it's been long enough, praise God. And, and, and so the lady's looking at this picture, and she says, this is not you. And he said, oh, it is. It's, it's me. That's, that's me. It has my name. It has my picture. And she goes, No. 
And, and so she brings this other girl over, and, she's, and they're like, you know, 20-something. And she goes, come here. She goes, is this her? And she goes, ooh, no. And so they, like, stand there for, like, 10 minutes, debating on whether or not it's me. Finally, they let me through, but they said, we'll let you go. But don't ever do this to your hair again. It looks horrible. And I'm like, okay, just whatever. Just let me out of your country. Let me into America. And, and I just remember thinking, as I'm standing there, who's going to save me? I mean, how can I prove that it's me? That's what a passport's for. A passport says, this is me. See, I'm here. I'm that. I can go. And if your passport's not proving who you are, who can prove who you are? Who is going to save me from that country? And I was thinking as I was studying for this that I'm so glad that our Savior, our Deliverer, He always knows who we are. He doesn't forget our faces. We're not unknown to him. He knows the number of hairs upon our head. He knows the words that our mouths speak before they're even on our tongues. He knows the deepest, darkest secrets, the depths of our hearts, and yet loves us unconditionally, perfectly, and forever. I mean, isn't that an amazing thing? I know we don't say it too often anymore, and it kind of sounds cliche, but, but nothing that you could do could make God love you more. And nothing that you could do could make him love you less. There is not one day, one moment, one second that he is sorry that he went to the cross for you. On our deepest, darkest days, he has not one regret that he saved us from the pit. He's our amazing Savior. And as I was thinking about this study, I thought, you know, there's really three relationships that we need with being saved and delivered. We need positional saving and delivering. We need practical saving and delivering. And we need to proclaim our Savior and deliver. Now, you can't tell Jason that I used all P words because he's going to think that he's rubbing off on me, and that's just not okay. That was just what God gave me. So we need positional saving and delivering, practical saving and delivering, and we need to proclaim our Savior and deliverer. So the first point, we need positional saving and delivering. We are lost and stuck and destitute in our sins without Jesus our Savior. Isaiah 1, 16 through 20 is so amazing. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, plead for the widow, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Is it not the most amazing thing that our scarlet stain has been made white as snow? I mean, have you ever tried to get something scarlet red out of something that's white? There is no bleach pen on earth that can accomplish that feat. 
Not making it pink, not making it mostly white, but making it completely white like fresh fallen snow. Not a trace, not a track of who we've been, what we've done, or where we have been. Like fresh fallen snow on our lives. A new reputation. A new name. Something new that you're known for. Aren't reputations the hardest things to get rid of? I mean, I can't believe that. In Proverbs or Ecclesiastes, one of those says that a good name is to be had better than fine oil. And it's true, our reputations. I mean, you know who have a reputation, how long it took God to wash that out of you. And isn't he amazing? Because don't you meet those people who say, when they hear about your past or they hear about your testimony, they say, I can't even picture that in you. I can't even picture you being like that. When I was in high school here at this school, and at Calvary Oceanside. I went to church at Calvary Oceanside and school here. My dad was on staff there, and my mom helped in the school here. So I was, like, all over the place. And I was, like, the naughtiest high schooler ever. I cannot tell you how many high school counselors I made quit. And they would tell the high school pastors that they were specifically quitting because of me. Something about I wouldn't stop talking. I don't know. Some things change, some things don't, you know. Now I just know when to talk most of the time, but not always. And to get that reputation out, I mean, I was so boy crazy, so very boy crazy. By the grace of God, I have no idea how, but I stayed away from sex, drugs, and alcohol. But anything else that was just really fun, I just did it. And I did it loud, and I did it fun, and and I just was so different, And God washes and changes. And maybe you're here tonight and you didn't stay away from sex, drugs, and alcohol. Maybe that was who you are. And I meet people like that. And I can't picture them being like that. I have the sweetest friend. She's the cutest little pastor's wife. And she's like this little homeschool mom who wears these cute little jumpers. And I never forget the day I asked her her testimony. And she said, well, I got saved in prison. (laughs) robbing a store at gunpoint. And I was just like, (laughs) I mean, only our God can take us from darkness to light, from crimson to white, like fresh fallen snow, no trace of who you were, no tracks of who you've been. And he says, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Now don't misunderstand what he's saying. It is not something that we can do. We have no ability to scrub any type of stain out of any type of past that we have. Any more than I say, I've made myself clean in the shower. It was all me. No, it was the soap and I used it. I used the soap to keep me from being stinky. My responsibility to wash? Absolutely. My ability to clean? Not on my own. Our responsibility to wash? ourselves, yeah, come to Jesus. That was the point of the upper room. That was the point of him washing the disciples' feet because we do need to wash ourselves. We need to come to him and be cleansed by the word of God. Can we do it ourselves? No. 
Are we responsible to get to Jesus so that he can wash us? Absolutely. Absolutely. He wants to wash us white as snow. And he can. He's amazing. He's powerful. He's life-changing. I have this situation, and it has been so difficult. Not the most difficult thing I've watched through but you know sometimes it's the small things like it's the tiny little cuts on your fingers that like hurt the most and you bump the most not the gaping open wounds that you protect and guard and are so careful of and I've got this little thing that I've been walking through and I've been walking through it for a couple years now and and it has been so difficult one of those like constant cast your cares upon the Lord type of things and I'm reading um, this book right now called The Privilege, and it's about being a pastor's wife. And even if you're not a pastor's wife, just read it because it's Kay Smith and it's adorable. And, and so we were reading chapter 2 yesterday, and it was talking about prayer. And, and I was going over it with some friends, and, and she was just so specific in the way she was talking about prayer. Just what you're expecting God to do. What you're expecting him to say. And, you know, I had been thinking about that already because I went to a conference on Saturday and God was just so sweet and he spoke to me and he met me. And I I was kind of thinking, you know, I think it's because all day Friday I'm knowing I'm going to go there. God, speak to me tomorrow. Speak to me tomorrow. That morning driving up there, speak to me, God. I want to hear from you. And he does. And I'm like, what is the magic? And he says, no magic. You asked me to and you were expecting me to. We can do that every day. And I was thinking about that with this chapter on prayer. And this morning I went for a walk and I thought, you know, Lord, I want to see you do something today in this. Like it's been long and I've been praying for my heart. God, take the bitterness out. Take the roots out. Don't let me have hatred. Don't let me have gossip or slander or malice or wrath in this. But God, I want to see you move today. I want to see you work today. I want to see you do something today. And I had texted this person a couple days before in silence as normal. And today, I got a text from her. And I texted back. She texted back. And it was like this conversation. And it was like fresh fallen snow on these tracks that had been there. And did I have to wash myself to get to that point? Absolutely. It required a humility on my heart. It required an expectation on my part. And it required saving and delivering on God's part. But here's the good news, is that he saves and delivers. He does the things that we expect him to do. Those things that seem impossible, he makes white as snow. No trace of anything that has been there before. Isaiah 59, 15 through 18 says, Then the Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man, and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore his own arm brought salvation for him, and his own righteousness it sustained him. For he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance for clothing and was clad with zeal as a cloak. According to their deeds, accordingly he will repay. Fury to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies. The coastlands he will fully repay. He looked for somebody that could bring salvation, that could stand in the gap, that could intercede on behalf of his people. 
and he could find none. Ezekiel 22 says, I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall, stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it, but I found no one. Not one who would pray, not one who could save. And I love this because here in Isaiah, he's looking for one and he can't find one. So what does he do? He does it himself because he's the savior and the deliverer. And he dons himself with the armor that we are to wear in Ephesians chapter 6. The armor that we are to wear as we fight this battle when no one else could do it. There was no other savior, no other deliverer, but God saves and delivers. First Timothy 2.5, there's one God and one mediator between God and man the man Christ Jesus. And remember, if you're in the one-year Bible right now, we're in Numbers. And we just read a couple days ago that God, when he's ordaining the priest, he tells them, you're to stand in the gap between me and between the people. The priests were to stand in the gap in Numbers 16 or 17. It's somewhere right around there. And I love that. I thought, thousands of years before you came, Knowing that you would be our faithful high priest, you place those priests there as a picture, as a foreshadowing, that you would stand in the gap between God and between us. You foreshadowed that with them. They were the bridge representing Jesus thousands of years before he came. We need positional saving. There is salvation under no other name than Jesus Christ. The second, we need practical saving. We need a practical Savior and Deliverer. In John 14, 18, he says to us, I have not left you orphans. What does that mean? What does that mean that he has not left us orphans? That he hates all the orphans in the world? Oh no, all peas and a nacho libre reference. I'm my husband. It's not good. Um, He has not left us orphans. What does that mean? He has not left us alone. We are not fatherless. We are not in this world alone. We may not be able to see our father. We may not be able to see our savior, but we are not alone. He has left the spirit with us. Isaiah 59. So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. The Redeemer will come to Zion and to those who will turn from transgression in Jacob, says the Lord. As for me, says the Lord, this is my covenant with them. My spirit who is upon you and my words which I have put in your mouth shall not depart from your mouth nor from the mouths of your descendants nor from the mouth of your descendants' descendants, says the Lord, from this time and forevermore. He says, I put my spirit upon you. You have my spirit within you. When the enemy comes in like the flood, because he will. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. Like a dam that blocks the enemy. When the enemy comes in like a flood to steal, to kill, to destroy, to do everything that the enemy says, he will do. And everything that Jesus says, to beware of the enemy. When he comes in like a flood, just rushing past, 
any feeble wall that we've built up, any personality that we have, any niceness that we own, when the enemy just comes in like a flood to destroy, the Spirit will set up a standard against him. The Savior and the Deliverer says, no way, you are not getting past me. And I love Bobby was talking about in the leaders meeting that that word standard there means a flag or a banner or an emblem of a leader. And I imagined as she was saying that just being in this battle and you're losing or the enemy is coming at you and you don't know what to do. And all of a sudden you see this banner like the end of Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit, whatever the last one was. I'm way confused. You know, when they thought they were so destitute, they thought they were going to lose. And then all of a sudden, over the hill, there comes that banner of salvation. It's coming. We are saved and delivered by him. He raises his banner over us against the enemy. And we know from Song of Solomon that his banner over us is love. Doesn't that make you want to sing his banner over me is love? Okay, sorry, back to the 90s or 80s, whatever that song was. His banner over us is love. He sets his love over us. He does not save because he feels like he has to. He does not deliver because he feels obligated. He saves and delivers and washes and cleanses because of his great love for us. We have been saved, delivered practically by having his spirit set upon us. What is the fruit of the spirit? There's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Against such there is no law. This is how he saves us. Because he doesn't always want to save us out of the pit. He wants to save us from being in that pit in the first place. So what does he do to save us from being hateful, depressed, fretful, impatient, mean, rude, faithless, harsh, and out of control? He saves us by giving us the ability, his power, to be filled with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. He saves us from being in a pit By giving us the ability to stay out of the pit. Walk in the spirit, he says, that you might not fulfill the lust of the flesh. He wants to deliver us from being in the pit in the first place. He gave us the spirit to listen to, to speak to, to follow. It's like if our kids touch the oven after we told them not to. And we take them to the emergency room and they say, thank you so much for saving me in my pain. And you're thinking, well, if you had just listened to me, I would have saved you from the pain in the first place. That's what the Holy Spirit is, that still small voice in us. is the Holy Spirit saving us from walking into the pit. Because the enemy will come in. There will be floods stood up against you. The enemy will come flooding into you and he by his spirit raises up a standard to save and deliver isaiah 46 says listen to me o house of jacob and all the remnant of the house of israel who have been upheld by me from birth who have been carried from the womb even to your old age i am he even to gray hairs i will carry you i have made i will bear even i will carry 
and will deliver you? To whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we should be alike? One of my favorite verses. That verse is actually in the one-year Bible on my birthday. I love it. That's my birthday verse. Even to your old age, I will carry you. Even to your gray hairs. And I have three. I have one right there, one right there, and one right there. So I claim that verse in Jesus' name because it's mine now. I have gray hairs. What a sweet promise it is. He carries. I mean, I look at that verse and I think, well, what's there left for me to do? If he has made, if he will bear, if he will carry, and he will deliver, what's there left for me? And the answer, nothing. Nothing but to be carried. Nothing but to be delivered. Nothing but to be born up in the arms of God. And nothing but to be made and shaped and molded by him. Like the very last verse that says that he's the potter and we are the clay. He carries us. There is no one else like him. No one else. David said in Psalm 37, I've been young and now I'm old. Yet I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendants begging bread. We will always have enough. And I feel like maybe somebody in here tonight needs to hear that. That we will always have enough. And I don't know what you feel like you're running out of. Be it time, strength, money, energy, patience, self-control, faithfulness, loyalty, love. We will never run out. We will always have enough by the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember Elijah and the widow. And it couldn't have been easy for them to live jar to jar. But there will always be enough of what we need. We will always be carried. We will always have enough. That would be a great bumper sticker for our life. Always carried. Always enough. Remember Joshua at the end of his days. Joshua 23, he says, Behold, this day I'm going the way of the earth, and you know in all your hearts and all your souls that not one thing has failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spoke concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one word of them has failed. And sweet women, our story will be the same. There will be not one word that fails toward us. There will be not one promise that does not come through toward us. There will be not one time that you lean hard upon Jesus that his arm will not be strong enough for us. Remember when Peter was sinking, he cried, Lord, help, and he did. When the dad wanted to believe in his son's healing and that Jesus could do it desperately, he cried out, I believe, help my unbelief. Our practical Savior and Deliverer will rescue. And it may not seem like the right time. And it may not seem like it's fast enough. But he will not be one second late to save. And every single one of us at the end of our days, no matter what we walk through, no matter what we face, no matter what comes our ways, our testimony will all be the same. That our God is mighty to save. We need a positional Savior. We need a practical Savior. Lastly, we need to proclaim our Savior to others. I have another airplane story. Sorry. Apparently, I was thinking in travel mode. 
Jason and I had gone to Japan, and I know I told this story like a couple years ago. Jason and I had gone to Japan, and you know he likes to travel in like days. So we went to Japan, we stayed in Japan for two days, and then we came home the next day. So it was like this four-day trip to Japan. He was teaching at a pastor's conference, and we did this super fast. And I remember we were on an overnight flight, and I was so tired. I had no idea what time it was. I had no idea where I was. I had no idea where I was going to. All I knew is that there were going to be three very excited people to see me when I got home who were going to be little and who were going to be very, very excited and not let me sleep. So I thought, I've got to sleep on this flight. I mean, we did not sleep hardly at all when we were there. And we sit down, and Jason, like, he sleeps 16 hours. I mean, he'll fall asleep in L.A. and wake up in Germany. He has no problem with that. And I usually don't either. But the guy who was sitting across the aisle from me, I was, like, 99% sure he was a terrorist. And he was going to take the plane down as soon as we all fell asleep. And I thought, no, 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 he doesn't have any weapons. And then he had his little, um, what is that, the, the like, border paper thing that they give you. You know, it's called a border paper thing. And um, he had that, and he asked the stewardess, a flight attendant, whatever I'm supposed to call her, the flight attendant, he said, can I have a pen? And I thought, oh, that's it. As soon as I'm asleep, he's going to go, with a pen, as hard as he can. And Jason's just like out, and I was trying to wake him up, and his Tylenol PM had already taken effect, and I'm like, we're all going to die, and I'm the only one who knows. And I just, I couldn't sleep, and I was terrified, and my mind just gets kind of wacky like that. And, and I was just running away. I told you girls I struggle with fear. Okay, so... I, I kept trying, and I kept trying to sleep, and then I was like, oh, no, because that's, like, right there, and so i got to, like, cover that, and, but he can still, like, get over, and I didn't know what to do, and so finally I, like, sat up in a huff, and I was like, the only way that this guy's not taking the plane down is if I save him right now, so I threw my blankets, and I said, do you know that Jesus loves you, and that you've sinned, and you need a Savior? Because I thought the only way that I can keep him from killing us all is to like make him repent at the feet of Jesus right this second. So he said, yes, I'm a Gideon. I've been in Africa handing out Bibles. <laughs> and I said, well, praise God. And I put my blanket back up and I slept the whole flight home. <laughs> And I thought later, how sad that the only reason that I witnessed to that guy was because I loved my sleep. How sad is that? I mean, you see certain people of different religions getting on the plane, and, and I've switched seats, and I've thrown things. I mean, this Mormon guy was witnessing to this person behind me, and I kept trying to get into the conversation, and he wouldn't let me. And so finally, I like got my water bottle and dropped it back there, and I said, oh, I'm sorry I dropped it. And he said, so can I talk to you guys too? And you know, what is it about us that we only care so often about our physical needs. I want that heart for the lost. Not just when it involves sleep. Not just when it involves me. But always, like Jesus, we need to be proclaiming our Savior. And we were reading the other day in Mark that Jesus rebuked the disciples for their hardness of heart. And I thought, oh, Jesus, would you rebuke me? Because my heart gets so hard. My heart gets so calloused. Rebuke my uncaring, unloving, selfish 
heart. Break my heart for what breaks yours. Isaiah 52 says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, Your God reigns. Your watchmen shall lift up their voices. Their voices shall sing together. For they shall see eye to eye when the Lord brings back Zion. Break forth into joy. Sing together, you waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has made bare his holy arm in the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. How beautiful are our feet when this is the message in our mouth. How beautiful do our feet look when this is the path that they are walking, when our heart is for the lost, when we're proclaiming to others the joy of our salvation. Not the laws of our salvation, not the demands of our salvation, but the joy of our salvation. How beautiful are we when we talk like this because we look like our Savior. My youngest daughter gets told all the time how much she looks like her mommy. And it's usually when she's excited about a story that she's telling because she gets so animated and she's with her hands and and people say, oh, you look just like your mommy because she's talking like her mom. So it is with us when we are bringing the good news of peace and the gospel to those in captivity, to those whose lives could be called the waste places of the world. We look like Jesus. We look like his ministry. We remind others of him and his beauty and his verse, that he came to preach the gospel to the poor, that he was sent to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. This is what Jesus lived for. And when it's what we are living for as well, we look like our Savior. I want God to open my eyes. I want to beg God for a heart that sees the lost and cares more about their position in heaven or in hell than I do about my own opinions of what they'll think of me. I want a heart for the lost. Isaiah 60 says, Whereas you have been forsaken and hated so that no one went through you, I will make you an eternal excellence, a joy of many generations. You shall drink the milk of the Gentiles and milk the breasts of king. You shall know that I, the Lord, am your Savior and your Redeemer, the mighty one of Jacob. Instead of bronze, I will bring gold. Instead of iron, I will bring silver. Instead of wood, bronze, and instead of stones, iron. I will also make your officers peace and your magistrates righteousness. Violence shall no longer be heard in your land, neither wasting nor destruction within your borders. But you shall call your walls salvation and your gates praise. What a sweet promise that all will be made right, all will be made new. And honestly, I can think of no sweeter verse to leave you with for my last part of this study, for my last study of this season, than just the picture of heaven in there. That someday, someday, will be in heaven instead of the bronze the judgment the difficulties there will be gold the beauty the purification instead of the trials instead of the difficulties instead of the pain there will be joy beauty 
He gives us beauty for our ashes. Heaven is coming. And if we never see the wrongs righted here, they will be righted there. He says that the sons of those who afflicted us will come bowing to you. Someday. Someday. And I really felt like there was some in here tonight who needed to hear that someday the pain will make sense. Someday the opinion of you will be righted. Someday everlasting joy will be upon you. And I was thinking this week of Mary. And you know, she was never justified here on earth. And we say, oh, God will, God will write it. God will justify it. And he will. But with his mom, well, she didn't see it here on earth. Everybody always thought that she had a baby out of wedlock. He never said, my mom's innocent. The Holy Spirit did come to my mom. But eventually, the world knew. And eventually, it didn't matter. Because she got to heaven And great was her reward in heaven for walking through the trials here. And I loved it. I got to hear Johnny Erickson Tata speak. And she said in there, the study that I heard, she said, God allows what he hates to accomplish that which he loves. And while God hates what you have to walk through, he hates the trials, he hates the pain He hates the effect of sin. That's why he told Adam and Eve to stay away from it in the first place. It's why we have the Bible to tell us to stay away from it. Like Jason was saying yesterday, he hates it, not you, not us, not me. But what it does to us, he hates that it rips us apart. He hates the trials that we have to walk through. But he loves the purposes that it accomplishes. And great will be our reward in heaven. And someday this day will come. This day, this day where beauty is ours. This day where heaven is ours. This day where gold and beauty and righteousness fills our life. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. We have to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. And someday, 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 We will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. In his presence is fullness of joy. He said we'll be ruled by peace. We'll be led by righteousness. We'll be surrounded and walled in with salvation and praise. With praise on our lips and the peace of God in our hearts. Right now we can have a glimpse of heaven. I mean worship. Worship, like sometimes I'm worshiping and I just kind of peek because I'm pretty sure I'm in heaven, you know? And I I just peek. It's like this, this heavenly feeling. And when God gives his peace to your heart, when you should be in despair, when you have the peace that passes all understanding, it's a little glimpse of heaven. But it won't be fully here. We can have a portion And I love Moses. Show me your glory. I want to see as much of God's glory as I possibly can. But someday, someday we'll be walled in with God's glory. Someday there'll be no need for a son because his glory will shine upon us. Someday we'll be with him. And to that I say, Maranatha, 
the old Greek word of come Lord Jesus, let the marathon of this life be done. And Maranatha, God, would you come. So Lord, we just cry out to you tonight. God, we have been saved and delivered from our sins. You have taken what was scarlet and ugly and you have made it white and beautiful. White as snow. No tracks. No trace. Just newness. A fresh page. Your mercies are new every morning. God, you save us in situations. We can cry out to you when we're sinking. We can cry out to you for faith. And you save. You deliver. God, we long for a burden to be placed upon our hearts for the lost, for those who need a Savior and deliverer. Lord, would you open our eyes? Would you give us a measure of faith? Would you give us boldness, Lord? For those of us like me who don't have the gift of evangelism, Lord, would you help us to do the work of an evangelist until you come redeeming the time for the days are evil? But Lord, we just ask in these evil days that you would save you would come. We cry out almost at Easter time, Hosanna, save now. Save your people now. Lord, would you save those last people and would you come so that we can be with you, that we can be led by righteousness, enveloped in peace, surrounded by praise and salvation. We can't wait to be with you. Lord, I thank you for the privilege and honor that it's been to teach these precious ladies. I just, my heart is so for them. I'm so blessed by them and their graciousness toward me, their sweetness. God, would you bless them far beyond any man ever could, any human, any position. Lord, would you bless them? Bless group time, Lord, we pray. And it's in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, girls.